Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Adepticon Review. Uh, today, we're going to be going over the Greyjoys. So I'm going to start with the Greyjoys basic deck, just like normal, and I'll move on to the Commander's um, Asha, and we'll go ahead and cover Euron as well. I think Euron's gained some popularity. Uh, Baylor's debatably, you know, another commander that you might see, but we'll we'll stick to Asha and Euron for now. So uh, let's get cracking. Uh, this is a very interesting deck. Um, the Greyjoys are a bit of a polarizing faction because this deck is really, really strong. But if the Greyjoy player doesn't draw the cards in the right order, it can feel like an underwhelming deck. If the card combos come out in the right order for the Greyjoy player and the wrong order for you, it's a very powerful deck. It has a lot of sustain. Um, it's got a decent attack card, but it's just got so much healing and so much ability to survive that if it comes in essentially the perfect order, it can be very problematic for you to deal with. So we'll try to break into some of that a little bit as we go and uh, explain bad situations for you, good situations for the Greyjoy player. But let's get started. We do not sow. When a friendly NCU claims a zone, replace the zone's effect with one friendly combat unit performs one attack action. If an opponent controls the wealth zone, this unit restores one wound plus one wound for each of its destroyed ranks. This is kind of like Assault Orders as a basic deck card. It doesn't give you the option to charge, but it does allow for a ranged attack or a melee attack. So it's similar to the Assault Orders from Drogo, which allows both. Uh, it's a relatively powerful card. Any card that's going to give you a free attack off of any zone is pretty good. When you consider that Greyjoy's primary unit is the Bowmen, who are a long-range unit, um, they can get the finger dance out to start making you vulnerable. Um, and if they're in your flank or rear, they get rerolls. So this can be really nasty if they get those bows in a nice position and open up on one of your rounds where you take the swords to stop them from shooting, and then they're able to shoot anyway. Um, that said, it's, it's a good card. The healing's a nice kicker. It's not something you're going to play around. You're not going to avoid taking the bags just to avoid the kicker of this card. It puts a little bit of pressure on the Greyjoy player as to whether they play this card when you own the bags or, you know, if they if they hold it in their hand. Um, sorry, let me start over. It puts pressure on the Greyjoy player if you don't own the bags, whether they go ahead and play the card or if they save it for a round where you do own the bags for that nice little heal. Um, generally, it's, it's game dependent. So, uh, What is Dead May Never Die? This would be the premier card from the Greyjoy's deck, the one that's going to receive the most grumbling and complaints from players. When a friendly unit would be destroyed. That unit is not destroyed, but instead remains in play with D3 wounds. Attach this card to that unit until the end of the game. While attached, when that unit performs an action, before resolving that action, it suffers D3 wounds unless you control the swords. It's a really strong card. Um, if you're killed with the melee portion of an attack or the, you know, the by failing defense dice, you die. You do still have to take the panic test after what is dead may never die is resolved. But for the most part, it's kind of like a get out of jail free, stay alive card. This card is interesting because it can be played on neutrals. It doesn't stipulate that it has to target a Greyjoy unit, so it becomes particularly aggravating when it's play played on Flayed Men. The Flayed Men stick around instead of dying, and then they're able to still be a threat while they're on the battlefield. Um, that said, they suffer D3 wounds for an action if you don't control the swords. Obviously, we know that the idleness means death stipulation in the rulebook says that if they're engaged with you, they must attack or retreat. If they don't own the swords, they'll have to take the D3 wounds regardless. So that's a way for you to kind of play around this card and, and stick them in a spot. The Kraken's Wrath. When a friendly unit is performing a melee attack before rolling attack dice. 
If you control the swords, this attack gains precision. If an opponent controls the swords, this attack may reroll any attack dice and gains precision. If you control the bags, the defender becomes panicked. If an enemy controls the bags, the defender becomes vulnerable. This is a lot of text for one card, but I, I really like the design space of this card. It's giving you a bonus either way, but if your opponent controls one of those zones, then it tends to be maybe a little bit better. Definitely the swords is, you know, rerolls and precision. The bags is situationally better depending on which token you need. Now, it is possible because of Peter Baelish for both players to control a certain zone. In that case, you know, you'll have to decide which kickers apply and which don't. Um, it's just a pretty good attack card. Precision is nothing to be sneezed at in this version of the game because it bypasses so many effects like hardened and it'll do auto wounds to things like giants. Essentially, precision counts as an auto wound because of the way it's worded in the rulebook, so it's never a bad card to have up your sleeve. The Iron Price. Start of a friendly turn. Target one friendly combat unit. Remove any number of pillage tokens from that unit. For each token removed, choose one. This unit restores two wounds. That may be selected multiple times. That unit gains plus one speed and may reroll charge distance dice this turn. This That attack, that unit attacks using its highest attack die value this turn. So the top two boxes are probably the ones that you're going to see the most often. In, in conjunction with a Windermere Shift, you can essentially get a unit that wants to charge an extra plus four and a reroll. So you can use a Windermere Shift to shift three, then you can play this card to gain the plus one speed. It's something that you need to be aware of because Reavers, Silenced Men, Iron Makers, things like this want to get stuck into combat and kind of get those pillage tokens rolling. And then they want to you know prevent you from charging because they're relatively soft. But more importantly, they're going to get those pillage tokens going and they're going to start kind of the, the thing that Greyjoys do. They want to stay engaged. They want to shoot into melee, depending on the unit that is engaged. And then they want to keep you from charging their bowmen. So uh, this card can help with that. Most often what you're going to see is they're just going to discard the two pillage tokens. Uh, heal four. And I mean, that's a whole rank on a unit of infantry. Um, and then they're going to, you know, keep tanking you, which is kind of what Greyjoys do. They're misleadingly tanky. So they're going to do their best to hold you down. In particular, something like Baylor Silence Men with Blind Baron. You it takes a lot to get through that unit and put wounds on it. It can be very deflating for an opponent for the iron price to come down, um, take two tokens off, heal four, and then they attack you back and maybe they get another pillage token back because the silence men have sundering. They're pretty nasty in melee. So uh, just something to keep in mind. I think it's debatably their best card. Um, it's such a swing. It's such a, a new breath of life for that unit. It can be really, really difficult to deal with. Finger Dance. Start of a friendly turn. Target one friendly combat unit. Attach this card to that unit until the end of the game. While attached, when attacking enemies with the same or fewer remaining ranks, before rolling attack dice, the defender becomes vulnerable. When an enemy with the same or more remaining ranks attacks this unit, before rolling attack dice, this unit becomes vulnerable. So the intention of the card is that it's got a really nice upside, but it's supposed to have a little bit of a downside. The problem is, for the most part, this card just lives on Bowman. Um, they're going to do their best to shoot into favorable combats where they've got the same or more ranks than the opponent. A solo, they're always going to make you vulnerable if they shoot a solo. Um, that's where they're going to get strength out of this card. You rarely see it played, maybe in a desperate situation where they just got to get the kill and this is going to make you vulnerable. You don't generally see it on the Reavers, the Silence Men, the Iron Makers, the units like that, because being engaged in combat, it's likely that they're going to get that vulnerable placed on them at some point, and that's not something they really want to do because they're not the most defensive on paper, so they're relying on the tactics deck, Windermere heals, and things like this to stay alive.
Raiding Call. When a friendly Greyjoy infantry unit activates, remove up to four models and up to one pillage token from one other friendly Greyjoy unit in long range. Restore that many wounds to this unit, and if this unit has pillage, place the removed pillage token on this unit. If any player controls the bags, one friendly unit with pillage gains one pillage token. Now that friendly unit gaining a pillage token is global. It can be any of the units that are on the table. There's no range or anything like that. Either opponent controlling the bags. Typically you're seeing three NCU on three NCU um, on the competitive side. So someone's going to own the bags. So this card tends to be you know, around one or around two, I'm just going to play this card to get the pillage token. That said, there are situations when it comes in handy later in the game to be able to remove from a safe unit, like a unit of bowmen that are in the back and aren't in danger. They can take some models off and replenish those silenced men or those iron makers. One of those units that's a frontline fighter, it's essentially regroup and reform for that unit. So it's pretty strong. Bless with stone, bless with steel. Another very strong card, um, when a friendly combat unit activates, target one enemy engaged with that unit. For each of that enemy's destroyed ranks, this unit restores two wounds. If you control the bags or swords, restore plus one wound or remove one condition token from that unit for each of those zones you control. So again, similar to Iron Price, this is a card that can turn into a massive heal kind of out of nowhere. So if they're engaged with you and they've worn you down to your last rank, they're healing four to begin with, and then if they control the bags or swords, it's another plus one or removing a condition token. Essentially, this card can heal them six in the perfect situation. Uh, it can be such a game-swinging card. It's really, really powerful. The problem with this card, as I mentioned at the start, if you draw into this in the opening hand as a Greyjoy player, it can be a very bad, feels-bad moment because you're unlikely to hold on to this card because you really kind of need to play through your deck. But it really stinks to throw away such a good card. So it's going to be very situational on when they draw this card. But it is definitely game-changing if it's played at the right moment. Moving on to Asha Greyjoy. We start with Ironborn Metal. When a friendly unit passes a morale test, restore two wounds to that unit. If that friendly unit is in short range of Asha Greyjoy's unit, restore plus one wound for each of their destroyed ranks. So what you're going to find with Asha is that her cards mimic abilities that exist in the game. They're not identical, but they're very similar. So this is very similar to Eddard's Bravery in the Face of Death. The stipulation for her is that they have to be in short range of her to get the bonus wounds, but um, restoring two wounds for passing a morale test is relatively strong anyway. So the other part is kind of just a kicker. So she'll always be in short range of herself. She is the key piece to keep this army ticking, so you're going to see this card being played on her to keep her alive. Raider Bravery. When a friendly unit passes a morale test, attach this card to that unit until it fails a morale test. While attached, when this unit attacks, if it has full ranks, it gains plus one attack die. Otherwise, it is treated as having plus one rank four attack dice. This is essentially boldness and courage, but it's in card form. So, it's pretty strong. Um... If she's in a unit of Iron Makers, which is a pretty common place for her, giving them, you know, an 875 attack profile is pretty good. Um, Iron Makers aren't terrible in a grind. They've got critical blows all the time. They hit on 3+. They don't have the keywords like Sundering, but they're able to do some damage. Um, and Asha having stubborn tenacity and her inspiring presence gives that unit a morale 5. It's a unit that you really like to shoot in with bows to deal the passive damage from Stubborn Tenacity. And additionally, you can trigger cards like this in Ironborn Metal. Warcry. When a friendly combat unit activates, that unit performs one morale test. On a success, target one enemy in long range. It becomes panicked and vulnerable. 
Okay, we know Warcry. Uh, you see it in attachments and other units across the game. So this is just a version that is a card. The only difference is that this has to be played when the combat unit activates. With Asha's um, Inspiring Presence Bubble, she's also a rally point. So anything within short range of her is going to be Morale 5. So making a Morale test on a 5+, plus to get a Panicked and Vulnerable token isn't really that hard to do. But additionally, you are able to trigger things like Raider Bravery and Ironborn Metal off of the Warcry card. If I'm not mistaken, I'm going to go look real quick. I believe Stubborn Tenacity is passing any morale test. So you would also be able to trigger your own Stubborn Tenacity if Asha is engaged and she passes that test. Uh, trying to pull that up right now. I don't have a Greyjoy army created. What a sad day. <sighs> Never mind. I'm pretty sure Stubborn Tenacity is a morale test. We'll just move on. Um, so moving on, we're going to go to Euron Greyjoy. Um, as I mentioned, you might see Baylor. I even talked about him having hardened and essentially living in silenced men. But we're going to go ahead and cover Euron because I think Euron has a lot of play into this meta. Okay, starting with his first card, Devious Methods. Start of a friendly turn. Discard one other tactics card. If you do, take one card from your opponent's discard pile and add it to your hand. Return that card to your opponent's discard pile if it leaves your hand. Replace any commander name on that card with your on Greyjoy. This is a really strong card. Um, the most, I mean, it's kind of meme and funny, but he can take Endless Horde from Free Folk and generate his own unit of raiders that are Greyjoy-friendly raiders. It's essentially giving them another activation, uh, an objective holder. This is kind of a card that Free Folk players don't love to see because they don't like their own tricks being used on them. Uh, Euron definitely has some play into uh, Free Folk for several reasons, but this card being one of them. Cunning Ploy. When a friendly combat unit activates, that unit cannot perform actions this turn. Instead, one other friendly combat unit performs one maneuver, march, or retreat action. If this is Euron Greyjoy's unit before they perform this action, one enemy in long range becomes vulnerable. It's relatively strong. Um, we've seen Cunning Ploy in the Martell deck. We've seen it from Tyrion. Um, it might exist somewhere else, but I don't... Martell's Tyrion? Uh, maybe... Theon has it or something, and I don't think so. I'm not 100% sure. I'm not going to speculate. I can't remember if it's anywhere else, but it's a relatively strong card. It's really good at getting a unit like those Flaidmen or a unit like Blaggard with Euron, which is definitely a staple for Euron lists, into a good position off of another unit's activation. Mind Games. Start of a friendly turn, target one tactic zone. The next time that zone is claimed this round, after resolving that zone's effect, the player who did not claim that zone may immediately activate the zone's effect. It's a pretty strong card. Um, typically, it's going to go onto the swords when you're the first player. Because at that point, if you claim the swords against Euron, he's going to also be able to resolve the, the swords in any way that he wants. Um, it's got good play anywhere, realistically. Uh, as the card implies, it's a mind game. It's a mind game for both players. Is it worth me taking this zone if my opponent then gets to resolve the zone as well? Um, I think it's a pretty strong card. It's sort of a form of soft control, but if it's leveraged properly, it can definitely work out in the Greyjoy's favor. So as I mentioned with Asha, she has Rally Point, Stubborn Tenacity, and she's got Inspiring Presence. Euron has Intimidating Presence, and he has... Um, so Discord. Now, so Discord makes you take a morale test, and 
you suffer a penalty for each of your destroyed ranks. If you fail the test, the unit loses all abilities for the round. That's a very strong ability because Euron has Intimidating Presence, and uh, you're typically seeing Flayed Men in Greyjoy armies who also have Intimidating Presence. That can count towards their morale test. So in the aforementioned Free Folk, it's a pretty decent way at stripping Insignificant off of a Free Folk unit. If you're lucky enough to trigger Mance with that and take down his Inspiring Presence in Rally Point, you can really make the whole Free Folk army vulnerable. Um, it's just a thing. It can work. A lot of times, it's just a very dicey situation, but it's, it's, it's worth trying to strip their abilities from the round. I've seen it used on things like Greyjoy, or uh, Call Drogo Flaidmen, and when that unit loses all abilities, it's really just kind of a, a, a brick that just sits there. It takes away all of the punch out of that unit. Um, it can be really strong. It's really good. Um, I like Euron. He is the person that I run in conjunction with Asha. I think um, Chris Tran might run the same, Chris Tran from Sunday Slaughter. Uh, but he might he might have taken Roos and Euron to LVO. But he did pretty well with Greyjoys. So it's just something to keep in mind. There are players who enjoy Greyjoys. They're going to play them. Greyjoys are considered kind of weak at the moment. But again, that is a little bit of perception. And it can really depend on just how that uh, how the cards are drawn, what order they come in, and, and things like this. So. I think they've got some strength, but as I mentioned, most often you're going to see the um, the Bowman a lot. Um, it's just something that you're going to see in most Greyjoy lists. You're going to see two or three of them. They can be very, very good. I think you've really got to deal with the with the um, Bowman if you want to have a chance to, you know, take the Greyjoys down. If you let the if you let the Bowman stay alive and you let them do what they want to do you're you're going to struggle with that um so with that said that is enough on the Greyjoys. i hope you enjoy the podcast and uh, we'll move on to another faction here in a couple days or maybe next week thank you <laughs>